Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Tonight on The Readout... This is a dark time in America. We have a, a, a lot of problems, and we're really, really hopeful and prayerful. Prayer is appropriate in a time like this, that the evil can end and this senseless violence can stop. Prayers, but no actual plan from the new House Speaker, following yet another mass slaughter of human beings, this time in Lewiston, Maine. And tonight, we're learning more about the far-right extreme views of Speaker Mike Johnson. Among other things, he's an election denier and wants to ban abortion nationwide. And that's really bad for Republicans heading into the next election. Plus, Special Counsel Jack Smith has had enough of Trump's big mouth But will a judge agree to Smith's request to reimpose a gag order on criminal defendant Trump? But we begin tonight with yet another devastating mass killing in America. At 6.56 last night, just before we went on the air, police responded to a report of an active shooter at the Spare Time Recreation Bowling Alley in Lewiston, Maine. Wednesday night happens to be youth bowling night. At 7.08 p.m., roughly 10 minutes later, police responded to another report of an active shooter, this time at Shemengi's Bar and Grill. This morning, an emotional, at an, in an emotional briefing, Maine Governor Janet Mills confirmed that 18 innocent people were dead and 13 wounded. She added this. Lewiston is where I worked for years. It's where I met and married my husband and where our girls went to school. I love this place just as I love our whole state with my entire heart. This city did not deserve this terrible assault on its citizens, on its peace of mind, on its sense of security. No city does, no state, no people. This attack strikes at the very heart of who we are. State police say seven people died at the bowling alley, six males and one female. Eight people died at the bar, seven males inside the bar and one outside. Last night, Leroy Walker was anxiously waiting for news about his son, Joey, the bar manager at Shemengi's. This morning, he learned that Joey did not make it. He told NBC's Lester Holt what state police told Joey's wife. Joey Walker was shot to death at Shemengi's. Shot to death, but she then he went into telling her that uh, he died as a hero because he picked up a, a butcher knife from somewhere. As you know, the, he has all that stuff near the bar, anyways. And he tried to go at the gunman to stop him from shooting anybody else. The gunman shot him twice, twice through this. Did it change your pain at all? Oh. Knowing that it, it made it worse. Yeah, it made it worse. Survivors described a horrifying scene of chaos and confusion. We were inside and just normal night of bowling and out of nowhere he just came in and there was a loud pop. 
thought it was a balloon. I had my back turned to the door. Um, and as soon as I turned and saw it was not a balloon, he was holding a weapon, I just booked it um, down the lane and I slid basically into where the pins are and climbed up in the machine and was on top of the machines for about 10 minutes until the cops got there. <laughs> Frustrated, worried, we know a close friend has passed. At this hour, a massive multi-state manhunt on land and water is underway for the suspect. U.S. Army Reservist Robert Card, who was wanted for murder. Schools, doctor's offices, and grocery stores closed, and people stayed behind locked doors as far away as 50 miles from the shooting scene. Card is considered armed and dangerous and should not be approached, according to two senior law enforcement officials. The assault rifle, the assault-style rifle weapon that he used, was purchased legally this year. NBC News has learned that Card was sent by his military unit commanders for psychiatric treatment this summer after they became concerned about his claims that he was hearing voices and for threats that he made to the base. Card spent about two weeks undergoing inpatient psychiatric treatment and was released. And it's not clear what further action was taken. This was first reported by The Washington Post. The Associated Press spoke to a U.S. official on condition of anonymity who said that Card was an Army reservist who had been taken by police for an evaluation after military officials became concerned that he was acting erratically in mid-July. The official said military commanders became concerned about Card's safety and asked for the police to be called. Wednesday's shooting was the country's 36th mass killing this year, according to a database maintained by the Associated Press and USA Today in partnership with Northeastern University. Until last night, Maine was designated by the FBI as the safest state in America. President Biden, who's been in touch with state and local officials, mourned the victims and urged Republican lawmakers to fulfill their duty to protect the American people by passing a bill banning assault weapons and high-capacity magazines and he urged them to enact gun safety measures. One of Maine's most famous voices, novelist Stephen King, tweeted about those very Republicans, writing, quote, the shootings occurred less than 50 miles from where I live. I went to high school in Lisbon. It's the rapid fire killing machines, people. This is madness in the name of freedom. Stop electing apologists for murder, unquote. Let's bring in NBC News correspondent George Solis in Lewiston, Maine, where a news conference wrapped up a short time ago. What did we learn in that news conference? Yeah, good evening, Joy. Basically, a lot of the sentiment from elected leaders that this is such a dark day in Maine's history. I mean, in almost one day, they nearly... It met the number of homicides this entire state had last year, which was 29. number of casualties here, really unfathomable. And behind me, there is a law enforcement president at the hospital. The juxtaposition of a hospital where people are receiving care and long guns is something people can't help but gawk at. And within the last hour, we have learned as investigators are combing through Robert Card's life, they found a gun in that Subaru linked to him. Whether or not it was the gun used in the mass shooting remains to be seen. Authorities also saying that they found a note inside of his home and what that means they are still trying to decipher. And all of this, of course, trying to play a bigger part in what led to this shooting. It is a question, of course, on the minds of many in not just this community, but the surrounding communities here, which tonight remain on lockdown as a result of this extensive manhunt. Local, state, and federal partners, of course, as you know, here combing every nook and cranny, if you will, to try and find where the suspect 
may have gone, if he is even still here or even alive. We talk so often not just about the shooter in these cases, but the families, the ones that are reeling, the ones that have lost. And as you heard in Lester's interview, that is just one story of many. Today I spoke with the relative of a family who lost their patriarch, their father, and his son who died in that bowling alley. We heard stories of people hiding behind bowling pins in that in that scene. And it's so hard to fathom what these people experienced. They were there for this family night at the bowling alley, and then this shooting took place. We also talked to a mother today who was carrying a gun around for protection because she feels that she has to have that gun to make sure she can protect her kids should the suspect appear, Joy. NBC's George Solis, thank you very much. Let me bring in Senator Chris Murphy of Connecticut. Senator, um, uh, unfortunately, n- usually when you and I get a chance to talk, it's on an occasion like this. Um, I, I want to let you react to just some of the details here. Um, people having to hide behind bowling pins. Um, Joey's father, who was the manager there, saying that he did try to help. He stepped in. He had a butcher knife. Obviously, that is nothing compared to an assault rifle. Um, Just your reaction to this happening again. And none of this is inevitable joy. None of this is bad luck. This is a choice that we make in this country to live like this. The entirety of Lewiston is locked down tonight. Everybody in that community is trembling with fear. But you know what? That reality plays out every single day for kids that live in dangerous neighborhoods, kids who fear for their life every morning and every afternoon when they walk to and from school. Every child in this country now has to go through mass shooter drills. This is literally corrupting the soul of America. And for for what? For what? In my state, we don't allow you to buy these uh, semi-automatic assault weapons. And I don't hear a lot of complaints from people in my state that want to hunt or shoot for sport or protect their home. Uh, it's time for this country to wake up to the fact that it's, it's a choice that we make as leaders and as voters to accept this reality. If we ban these assault weapons, if we had stricter universal background checks, we just wouldn't have to live with this epidemic of almost daily mass slaughter in this nation. So, um, you know, I'm furious uh, every single day, but particularly on days like this when another community is going through what my community of Sandy Hook uh, and thousands of others have had to go through across the country. Right. And we, we everyone thought in their minds that Sandy Hook would be it because we're talking about little kids and that maybe people would do something. Nothing much has happened. I will note that there are 21 states that do have extended background checks that go beyond uh, the federal requirements. Maine is not one of them. In fact, Maine has tried to do some, uh, you know, changes in terms of its gun laws, but they they ha- they don't allow guns in K through 12 schools. Um, they do not have a stand your ground law. They do have secure storage, but they don't have things like background checks, red flag laws, high capacity magazine prohibitions, training required to carry concealed guns, school threat assessment teams, that kind of thing. But I want to react to have you react to another thing that that, uh, my producers handed me from military.com, because this seems related. There was a bill uh, that recently passed that gives veterans who are deemed mentally incompetent easier access to guns. Um, Senate approval seems pending. The Senate just approved a measure that would ease some veterans' access to guns, brushing aside objections from most Democrats in the Department of Veteran Affairs. Uh, This is a person who had been deemed to have some mental issues. What do you make of the fact that uh, some of your colleagues want to make it easier for those folks to get guns? 
So uh, this uh, amendment that you're talking about passed yesterday afternoon, just hours before this shooting. And what this proposal does that is now baked into the Senate appropriations bill that is speeding towards passage would allow veterans who have been deemed mentally incompetent, one third of them who are schizophrenic, to regain their gun rights. People who are actively suicidal, who have massive, serious cases of PTSD, would be able to get their weapons back. For three decades, we have said that veterans who have been deemed to be mentally incompetent, they shouldn't get weapons. Because I thought we all agreed in this country that if you were seriously mentally ill, you shouldn't get your hands on a gun. Um, Maybe now, after this episode tonight, in which a mentally mentally ill individual who is a member of the military carried out this crime, maybe we will think twice about uh, passing into law the amendment that we passed yesterday. It is just amazing to me that this country and many of my colleagues are still so cavalier about allowing people with serious mental illness, in this case, mentally incompetent veterans, to have guns. It just feels like this country wants us to be more careful about it, and Congress needs to get with the program. Um, I I will note that the member of Congress who represents um, this area where the shooting took place has now said, uh, apologized uh, to his constituents for not supporting stronger gun legislation. I think we might have the sound of that. Let's take a listen. I have opposed efforts to ban deadly weapons of war, like the assault rifle used to carry out this crime. The time has now come for me to take responsibility for this failure, which is why I now call on the United States Congress to ban assault rifles like the one used by the sick perpetrator of this mass killing in my hometown of Lewis and Maine. For the good of my community, I will work with any colleague to get this done in the time that I have left in Congress. Your reaction. Well, I applaud Representative Golden for changing his mind based upon the facts that he has seen. Uh, For those of us who have lived through these experiences, who have spent time with the victims of these mass shootings, especially mass shootings involving assault weapons, it's just common sense to get rid of these weapons. It's hard to describe what a body looks like when it has been torn apart by bullets coming out of an assault weapon, especially if that's a child's body. But you know what, Joy? I I wish it didn't take a mass shooting in a congressman's district for them to be converted. It's going to happen in your district, in your state sooner or later. So why wait until it happens to you? Why not get out ahead of this? Being for an assault weapons ban before it happens in your state or your district is what may prevent it from happening in your state or your district. So listen, I am glad for Representative Golden's uh, declaration tonight. We are a little bit closer to passing an assault weapons ban in the House and the Senate because of his decision. But I wish folks got there before it happened to them in their community. Yeah, and it's unlikely that something like that would pass in the House as it's currently constructed now. Let me take you from uh, the sublime, I guess, to the ridiculous. This is Fox News' a set of their reactions to the shooting. We need serious law and order. That means that we need to defund sanctuary cities. But that means we need to acknowledge the cancer in America that is mental health. We have to have a greater ability for our citizens to protect themselves because it's clear The law enforcement comes in after uh, the massacre. When something like this happens, what is your plan? What do you do? I have a personal security plan. I train in mixed martial arts. I've I've been a big believer in the Second Amendment for a long time. Sean Hannity believes that 
his mixed martial arts training will protect him from mass shooting. Your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, this is like so tired. They, they, they pull out these tropes um, shooting after shooting. Yes, no, mixed martial arts doesn't do you much good against a AR-15. Um, but frankly, you know, neither d- does having a weapon. Um, if, you know, having a ton of guns in your community kept you safer, America would be the safest country in the world. Inside the United States, uh, states and communities that have more guns are more violent. Um, and so it's just a myth, a myth that having more guns keeps you safer. And this idea that it's mental illness, yes, of course we have a mental illness epidemic in this country. Of course we, we should treat people with mental illness. But we don't have more mental illness than Europe or Asia. We don't spend less money on treating mental illness than those other communities. But we have all the gun violence. Why is that? Mm -hmm. Because in this country, if you are having a break with reality, we allow you, like you can get your hands on a bottle of water, to get your hands on a weapon of mass destruction. It's the access to guns that makes America different than other places, which is why we have all the mass shootings. So I, I would love for there to be some originality in the defenses that the right and that Fox News gives to the state of mass shootings in America. It's the same stuff, shooting after shooting. Uh, all of it is talking points from the NRA. The American public knows this. That's why they are increasingly um, deselecting from Congress people who stand with the NRA and electing to Congress people who want to change our gun laws. Uh, Senator Chris Murphy, I want to thank you. I just want to put up before we go the list of the top five countries with the highest numbers of civilian firearms per 100 residents. And we are right up there way, way, way at the top. And there is no other country that's not at war that you can go to or you have to worry about getting shot at a bowling alley. Uh, Senator Chris Murphy, thank you very much. And up next on The Readout, despite voters' dissatisfaction with the upending of Roe v. Wade, House Republicans somehow managed to elect the most anti-choice speaker possible ahead of the 2024 election. Make that make sense. The Readout continues after this. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. Remember back in 2010 when Republicans were trying to win the House? Here is how they ran that entire campaign. California has Nancy Pelosi. She voted with Nancy Pelosi 91% of the time. Ben Chandler, Pelosi's lapdog. Isn't one Nancy Pelosi enough? So one wonders why Republicans, knowing that abortion is a losing issue for them, would make Mike Johnson of Louisiana the face of the party as Speaker of the House. As recently as January, Johnson tweeted, quote, we will get the number of abortions to zero exclamation point, exclamation point in Louisiana because of the fall of Roe v. Wade. Thanks be to God. We've uh, talked about 
his role in trying to help Donald Trump overturn the election. But his history is far more troubling than just that. As David Rothkopf points out, Johnson is more dangerous than Donald Trump because Johnson actually wants to make America into a Christian theocracy. His extreme views have been on open display for decades. As early as 2003, he was writing anti-LGBTQ editorials back home. In 2004, he defended Louisiana's proposed statewide ban on same-sex marriage, writing that homosexual relationships are inherently unnatural and a dangerous lifestyle, and that allowing same-sex marriage would lead to people marrying their pets. Their pets! And his path to Republican politics began as senior attorney for a group dedicated to destroying LGBTQ plus protections and outlawing abortion, now known as the Alliance Defending Freedom, the group that's trying to ban the abortion pill Mifepristone and who represented a Colorado baker who refused to make a cake for a gay couple and a web designer who refused to make a hypothetical wedding site for a gay couple that didn't exist. It's no wonder a spokesperson for the human rights campaign told NBC News that Johnson is Jim Jordan with a jacket and a smile. Just listen. The radical sort of homosexual agenda of the country wants judges to decide this issue and not the people. You know, we don't live in a democracy because a democracy is two wolves and a lamb deciding what's for dinner. Okay, it's not just majority rule. It's a constitutional republic. And the founders set that up because they followed the biblical admonition on what a civil society is supposed to look like. Certainly, there's a move to keep religion out of politics and and to rigidly enforce the so-called separation of church and state. Many of us have been working for this day our entire adult lives, and um, it is a great, uh, joyous occasion. Roe v. Wade gave constitutional cover to the elective killing of unborn children in America, period. You think about the implications of that on the economy. We're all struggling here to, to cover the bases of Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid and all the rest. If we had all those able-bodied workers in the economy, we wouldn't be going upside down and toppling over like this. Uh, joining me now is Irene Carmon, senior correspondent for New York Magazine, and Judd Legum, author of the popular information newsletter, to which I subscribe. Judd, I do want to go to you first here at the table. Um, he said the quiet part out loud there. He says, make them give birth so we can have more low-wage workers right here in the USA. Weird that he'd say that in his outside voice. Also weird that Republicans would say that guy ought to be, you know, the person who's going to be their avatar going into the next election. Give us more background because you know more. Yeah, well, if you look at his career all the way from when he graduated law school in 1998, he has really been dedicated to using the government to in first as a lawyer, then as a state legislator, then as a member of Congress, now as Speaker of the House to impose his own religious views using the power of government on others, whether they agree with it or not. Or not. Yeah. And that's been very consistent. You know, one of his first big cases, first big advocacy positions that he came out with that you can read about in the old archives of the papers, yeah. where he was advocating for a class to be taught in public schools that would treat the Bible as a literal truth, as a history book, mm. that and teach children that these are things that actually occurred. Right. And what was interesting about that was not only did people who were interested about the separation of church and state raise some alarms, but actually a lot of religious people said, well, wait a second, I'm a Catholic. Right. This course does not meet what I believe either. Yeah. We shouldn't be teaching children this as well because it had a very particular point of view. So yeah. I think it really shows you what his priorities are and how he will be guiding the House. And I think 
from abortion, but also on a whole host of other issues. Those are going to be his priorities, doing whatever he can in this position. And he can do quite a bit now, sure. because yeah. he's Speaker of the House, to enforce those views on everyone. On everyone else. Uh, Irene, you interviewed Mike Johnson, uh, and I remember the series that you did uh, back in 2015. Mm-hmm. I remember it very well. I think I had you on my day to talk about it uh, and played clips mm-hmm. of it. But you interviewed him as part of that series, which was on people who were vigorously, you know, religious folks who were extremely anti-abortion. Talk about uh, what he told you, um, because he tied abortion to school shootings, I believe. Mm-hmm. That is correct. Very explicitly. You know, Joy, I went to Bossier City, Louisiana to meet with him because I was looking for somebody who was really at the core of the conservative legal movement. Because as Judd mentioned, he's someone who used the law and then government. Uh, He had just been elected to the state legislature uh, to advance the views that we're seeing already being put into practice, really the script used to overturn Roe v. Wade, to undermine the rights of same-sex couples. And they hope to do a lot more including overturning uh, Obergefell, the Supreme Court decision that allowed for same-sex marriage to be the law throughout the land. So I sat down with him. He had, you know, this Ned Flanders vibe that seems to be the main reason that he got unanimous support. I mean, it's truly baffling to me uh, that that uh, people had to Google him. Senators had to Google him. Uh, it, to me, it was it was very clear that he was, despite that Ned Flanders vibe, uh, a fire-breathing conservative, part of uh, a movement that was once a fringe part of the Republican coalition. It was always part of that coalition dating back about 55, 51 years, um, but is now rapidly moving into the center. And so some of the things that he told me in the hour that we spent together, and I was able to find a 27 page transcript, uh, which I wrote about for New York Magazine today. uh, He told me that the coarsening of society, particularly legalized abortion, uh, has led people to believe that life has no meaning. And that's how you get school shooters. That part Mm -hmm. is a direct quote. Um, He also told me that he was feeling optimistic that soon Republicans would outnumber Democrats, or he said pro-life voters would outnumber pro-choice voters because, quote, pro-choice people abort their babies. And eventually, and now I'm paraphrasing, eventually he, they would outnumber pro-choice voters. Um, maybe he realized that that wouldn't work. Um, and that's why he wanted to throw out the votes of people who disagreed with yeah. him, uh, didn't vote for Donald Trump. But needless to say, at the time, it was hard to imagine that somebody like him would be second in line at the succession for presidency within eight years. You're absolutely right. And and right. He did believe in uh, in the election that elected him, by the way. Um, Let me play Mike Johnson in 2005 talking about same sex marriage. The Lawrence case opened the floodgates for same sex marriage or the push for it because it recognized a fundamental right, a constitutional right to to sodomy, which had never been recognized before. Uh, This is where we're headed. This is why it's important to reign in the federal judiciary. Irene, I'm going to come to you first, uh, then Judd afterwards. And and this is relevant because you did write the great book, The Notorious RBG. And him saying that is one thing. But I pair that with Clarence Thomas giving a concurring opinion in the Dobbs case that overturned Roe, saying that the court in future should also reconsider all of the court's substantive due process precedents, including Griswold, which legalized um, uh, uh, the pill, uh, um, contraception, Lawrence and Obergefell, which would mean making same-sex relationships illegal and also undoing gay marriage. So he's got 
at least some friends on the court. And I believe he's also friendly with Amy Coney Barrett. Your thoughts? Well, Amy Coney Barrett certainly has been affiliated in different ways. She's spoken at events that are affiliated with the Alliance Defending Freedom, where he worked for many years. Uh, Not only was he a talking head or writing op-eds or doing panels about uh, opposing same-sex marriage and and hoping that uh, these antique sodomy laws, in fact, that that was from the state of Louisiana, his home state, uh, the the law at issue in Lawrence versus Texas, uh, he was actually crafting briefs that helped dictate kinds of arguments uh, that would be taken up by the court. And so, again, they moved from the the court was beginning to recognize more rights. um, But as his side uh, gained more control of the Supreme Court, we saw these arguments move from the margin to the center. We saw Samuel Alito taking them up wholesale. They were also involved in Hobby Lobby, very closely involved in Hobby Lobby. They represented several of the plaintiffs, including Mike Johnson personally, seeking to undermine access to contraception. Yeah, we we are out of time. I'm going to give you a very quick last word. How dangerous is this guy? Well, I think that one of the reasons that he got to this position is he's able to take these extreme positions and put a very kind face on it. Right. So I do think that 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 poses uh, a threat. Yeah, he does his talk radio voice when he's mm-hmm. saying the extreme things. Irene Carmon, Judd Legum, thank you both very much. Up next, Donald Trump doesn't just uh, seem to, he just doesn't seem to understand that he can't say whatever he wants while he's a criminal defendant, weirdly enough. Now, special counsel Jack Smith is asking a judge to reinstate the gag order. We'll be right back. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. You can live out your MasterChef dream when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that. In a new court filing, special counsel Jack Smith is asking a federal judge to not only reimpose the gag order on Donald Trump in his federal election interference case, but also to modify Trump's condition of release to prevent him from sending even indirect messages to witnesses. Smith accuses Trump of trying to intimidate witnesses, including his former chief of staff, Mark Meadows, pointing to Trump's social media post from earlier this week after reporting that Meadows had testified in the case in exchange for an immunity deal. Trump wrote, quote, some people would take that deal or make that deal, but they are weaklings and cowards and so bad for the future of our failing nation. I don't think that Mark Meadows is one of them, but who really knows? In response, the filing states that based on the defendant's recent social media posts targeting a known witness in this case in an attempt to influence and intimidate him, the court should lift the administrative stay and modify the defendant's conditions of release to prevent such harmful and prejudicial conduct. Joining me now is Dave Ehrenberg, state attorney for Palm Beach County, Florida. Dave, it's good to see you in person. Great to be here, Joy. Um, So let's talk about this. Uh, Donald Trump has now violated the order that he stopped disparaging witnesses twice. He's been fined $5,000 and $10,000. That's not deterring him. Uh, the obvious question, I think, for a lot of people is, is beyond a gag order, even if there's a gag order imposed, is he going to be jailed? 
we know there's this issue with the Secret Service and would it be, you know, a, a mon- it would be monstrous to try to, you know, put them in prison with them. But at some point, isn't that the only option? Joy, I think it's unlikely that he'll be jailed pre-trial. Now, definitely not in New York, because that's a civil case. Yeah. I can't imagine Judge Angarone is going to send him to the Huskow when he's just going to keep fining him, because it's civil, not criminal. But in Washington, D.C., where Judge Tutkin is a strong judge who really has no tolerance for a lot of this sure. stuff, she did allow Trump to have a stay of her partial gag order while he appeals. But now Jack Smith is saying, pull the stay based yeah. on what he said about Mark Meadows. I think that it is possible that if Jack Smith could make that a condition of his pretrial release, mm-hmm. that he does not attack witnesses like Mark Meadows, and that Trump violates it, yes, he could be wearing an orange jumpsuit. But I think that's down the line. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about Donald Trump's potential defenses. One of the defenses that he's been sort of, you know, sort of workshopping publicly is, I was just listening to my lawyers. So what happens if you were listening to your lawyers and three of your lawyers plead out <laughs> in Georgia? Can you still use that defense? If he uses that defense, he's got to take the stand. Uh-huh. There's no way his lawyers are going to let him take the stand. It would be a perjury trap. <laughs> and, yeah, it makes it harder when your lawyers have cooperated yeah. and say, no, that wasn't what I told him. Yeah. And, you know, that's it. You start making that defense. You waive attorney-client privilege. Okay. And then— But isn't it already—I wa- mean, in a sense, th- there was a previous judge that— breached the privilege. The privilege is kind of gone, right? Like he can't, they can't claim it anymore. And in the case of like a Rudy Giuliani or the Kraken lady, Sidney Powell, if they are admitting they committed crimes and Jenna Ellis, and he says he was relying on them, does not he attach himself to their criminality? Doesn't that defense just evaporate just on its face? It it does. And the fact is you brought it up. The crime fraud exception means there's no attorney client privilege here. So you use your attorneys to commit a crime that's still improper. You can't say, yeah, I was relying on my attorneys. Like if your attorney said, you can go rob a bank, it's okay. That's not a defense. (laughs) So yeah, he's in trouble. He doesn't have any really great defenses. I think his best defense in DC is the first amendment stuff. But ultimately I think his best way out of this whole thing is to get elected president and then tell his DOJ to drop everything. Yeah. And that seems to be his ploy, right? To try to just delay, delay, delay. Really quickly, you are uh, coming out of Florida. What's going on with that case? Because it's gone really quiet. Sorry, I couldn't help. I'm so frustrated by that case. Yeah, I think that's the best case against Trump. Yeah. The Mar-a-Lago documents case. Open and shut. They got him dead to rights. The problem is he got lucky. He got Judge Cannon, Mm -hmm. who has been favorable to him. Mm -hmm. And she's so new. So she has been slow walking this case. This case, I think, even though it's the strongest, is the least likely to be heard before the election. So Trump's strategy of delay could work because if he becomes president again, he orders DOJ to drop everything. So unfortunately, I think the strongest case against him is the least likely to be heard before the 2024 election. And how long can he delay it? Or how long can she delay it? I mean, I guess the judge has complete discretion. She can delay it as long as she wants. And as long as he just keeps on asking for things like, I need more discovery, he can just keep asking for things and pushing it. How I mean, is there an, an unlimited time that she could just keep pushing the case? Judges have a lot of discretion over the calendar. And the 11th Circuit Court of Appeal, which repudiated the judge last year for her rulings, is not going to step in on matters of scheduling. So she's going to be able to give Trump what he wants. And look, we have SIPA, this federal law that's complex, that gives her cover to say, hey, we need more time. Yeah. So I think the first case that will go against Trump will be the case in D.C., Judge Chuck and ain't messing around. Mm-hmm. And that one will be heard and tried. And I think it's likely he'll be found guilty before the 2024 election. Yeah. And it'll probably affect him like literally not at all, if not making him more popular. Dave Ehrenberg, Florida. 
we can talk bad about it because we live there, right? So we get to talk. It's like you can only you can say your kids anything bad about your kids. I'm a proud Florida man. All right, we we love that. Thank you, David Ehrenberg. Up next, a gray, a ground invasion of Gaza seems imminent, with Israel conducting a targeted raid in Gaza overnight, and what the government says are preparations for quote the next stages of combat. We'll be right back. Today, new indications that an Israeli ground incursion into Gaza may be fast approaching after the Israeli military said it conducted a rare targeted raid into the region overnight, part of what it calls preparations for the next stages of combat. The move would only escalate what has already been a devastating and deadly conflict. According to the health ministry in Gaza, more than 7,000 people have been killed. That includes the family of Al Jazeera's Gaza bureau chief, Wael Daldu. The network says Dadu was helping the, to broadcast live images from the region when he received the news that his wife, his son, and his young daughter had all been killed in an airstrike. On top of the civilian toll, the Committee to Protect Journalists says that at least 24 journalists in the region have died as a result of the war. It all comes as Israel is facing growing international pressure to cease fire as leaders in the region and across the globe are on edge, waiting to see what comes next. Joining me now is Kim Gaddis, contributing writer to The Atlantic, distinguished fellow at Columbia Institute of Global Politics, and author of Black Wave, Saudi Arabia, Iran, and the 40-year rivalry that unraveled culture, religion, and collective memory in the Mideast. Thank you both for being here. Um, thank you for being here, Ms. Gaddis. Um, let's talk Thanks about this read. Cheers. Let's talk about this regional situation. Um, as it does appear a ground invasion is imminent, what would be our what should our expectations be about the way that countries like Saudi Arabia and Egypt and Jordan will react? Everybody's watching very carefully, not because Saudi Arabia or Jordan or Qatar um, are going to take specific actions beyond condemning killing of civilians, but because they will worry about what is the reaction going to be of groups like Hezbollah in Lebanon. The Shia militant group that is a proxy and a very close uh, ally of, of Iran, a regional paramilitary force, frankly, uh, based in Lebanon, which has warned that if there were to be a ground invasion by Israel into Gaza, that would be a red line for them. Now, we could expect an escalation of the violence on the border between Lebanon and Israel. And it has been, there have been crossfire exchanges over the last few weeks since October 7th. It has been very tense, but so far it's been contained. My assessment from talking to Arab officials and Western diplomats is that neither Hezbollah nor Israel want this to escalate into a real second front. And that the red line that Hezbollah has drawn is movable in a sense that they could get away by saying, well, you know, we feel that our brothers in Hamas are still doing okay and we're helping them on the border with, with Israel and Lebanon by keeping the Israeli army on its toes. But it's going to be a day-by-day -day, um, situation, uh, Joy, honestly. And I think the Saudis are going to be watching very, very closely because we heard the Saudi foreign minister at the UN just a few days ago saying Arab leaders are still ready to talk about peace, which is quite surprising, but also a welcome ray of hope amidst tragedy. But I think those kinds of statements will be very difficult to continue making by Arab officials who are very angry about 
you know, a lot of things, of course, but are going to be increasingly in a difficult position to make these statements if the ground incursion and the death toll on the civilian side, on the Palestinian side, continues to grow. Right. And the thing is, is that you did have um, what the, the Abraham Accords and this, these, the idea that some of the regional uh, powers would actually make a peace deal with Israel. But it seemed that they were going to throw Palestinians under the bus beforehand. Now, it, that doesn't seem feasible. Is there some world in which if they want to still pursue a peace deal, they have to resolve the issue of Palestinians and a state? If the Saudis were willing to go for normalization with Israel before October 7th by, as you say, throwing the Palestinians under the bus or getting minimum compromises or concessions for the Palestinians, I think that is no longer uh, possible. They will have to get something substantial, something more holistic, something that is more than just Saudi Arabia, Israel, and a little something for the Palestinians. And it's interesting to hear even President Biden today or yesterday say that, you know, once this crisis is over, uh, we will have to have a concentrated effort to put us on a path towards peace. And that would include a two state solution. But the immediate focus is on the rising uh, civilian death toll, uh, the tragedy that happened in Israel. Um, trying to keep tempers calm as much as possible because this is, this is a tinderbox at the moment and the, the, the danger of a regional conflagration uh, are definitely there. And we were, we're seeing the government in Israel um, going at it with the United Nations, uh, calling out for the resignation of U.N. Secretary General, the U.N. Secretary General, who said the Hamas attacks did not happen in a vacuum and, and, and look, talking about the wider context. There's also a huge, you know, obvious refugee crisis of people who are already refugees in Gaza. Can you just talk about the, the, the Egyptian sort of position here? They have been very clear, have, have the Jordanians, that they're not going to take refugees in because of their fear that those refugees won't be allowed to go back and that this will essentially be depopulating Gaza of Palestinians. Is that a position that they can maintain as the bombing continues to drive people from the northern part to the southern part and the south still gets bombed as well? It's definitely one that they will try to maintain because of the point you make that you know, these Palestinians have already been displaced once. When we say Gazans, actually, we also mean people who live in Gaza who are refugees from elsewhere uh, in the Palestinian, uh, you know, historical Palestine or Palestinian territories from the West Bank. And so the fear is that they'll be displaced again with no ability to return. But the fear in Egypt is also that they would have a restive population in the Sinai, which will then turn the Sinai into a staging ground for attacks against Israel. And that would really undermine the peace between Egypt and, and Israel and potentially um, the Abraham Accords. Um, so, and on the Jordanian side as well, they have a huge Palestinian population um, back to the 1948, 1967. They don't want more uh, refugees uh, streaming in. And they are going to be put under a lot of stress if the bombing continues um, in Gaza and refugees mass at the border. So far, no one's really been able to leave in, 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 in any case. But the longer the violence continues, the longer the war continues, the harder it's going to be to contain this from spilling over. Kim Goddess, uh, it, it's been such a pleasure to speak with you. Uh, no, no one could have been a better choice today. You're so knowledgeable. Thank you so much. Thanks really for having me. I appreciate you. Uh, we'll be right back. 
Tonight on the Readout blog, Jahan Jones breaks down how the new House Speaker embodies the right's MAGA media obsession. He points out that former TV host Donald Trump selected a former radio host, Mike Johnson, to lead a House Republican caucus that appears to be full of wannabe podcasters. Jahan says Mike Johnson has the makings of a solid drive-time talk show host, but an effective speaker, eh, not so much. All of that and more on msnbc.com slash readout blog. And that is tonight's readout. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.